You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. So this morning, I'm going to share with you guys just kind of a message. I'm going to share some uh, story with you today, but I wanted to just kind of uh, jump in here in Psalms. And so a few weeks ago, I spoke on gratefulness Um talked about the idea of gratefulness and joy connected to our joy and remembering, really, just this idea of remembering the good things that God has done for us. I think I gave you guys some homework, um, and so I'm here to collect it today. I need you to all pass forward your homework. They did this in class, right? I'm just kidding. Um, I asked you guys to write down 12 things. Do you remember? 12 things that God has done in your life, just to remember, right, this idea of building a memorial, if you remember the message, we talked about the Israelites crossing the Jordan, they built this memorial on the other side of the river, and they built a memorial also in the middle of the river, and there's this whole idea of remembering what God has done for us, and something happens in us when we remember the good things that God has done, and so, you know, even this morning, just, uh, worship was incredible, wasn't it? Just incredible time for us to remember that God is for us, right? That song always gets me, he is for you. And, you know, you can sing those words three, four, five times, but I love that it makes us repeat it over and over because, honestly, sometimes it's easy to say something once or twice, and it's just kind of like half-truth. You're like, oh, yeah, I guess I believe this to be true. But when you repeat things, doesn't it somehow drill in deep? You know, it's easy just to let things kind of pass through our minds. But I think God wants to ingrain something us, ingrain something in us today about his truth of never failing us. About his truth of never leaving us. And so, you know, Psalms 103, I read this just the other week. And it says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. So, you know, I'm going to kind of talk about a story here. Um, out of, you know, Matthew that talks about Peter. And I want to talk today just about this base idea of faith and trust. And just really realizing what does this, how does this impact our life? This is a a very basic topic in a sense, but I want to talk to you about how we're supposed to be applying it to our lives, how sometimes we struggle with it, and then even maybe I'm going to share personally some stuff where God is dealing with it in my life. And so Matthew 14, I want to read this whole story of Peter. And so if you guys don't know who Peter is, Peter's one of Jesus' disciples. He's one of my favorites because um, if you look at Peter's life, he tends to be a little more roller coaster than the others. You know, in one moment, right, he's chopping a guy's ear off and he's there ready to defend Jesus. The next moment he's cursing him to a little girl. Then the next time you see him, he's he's one of the first disciples to run to Jesus' graveside, believing that he may be resurrected. So there's this moment where he's all in, and then, you know, you've got these other moments where he's just kind of back and forth. And sometimes I read about Peter, and I, I it makes me feel okay because I feel that way. Now, maybe you guys are all perfect, steady Christians and rocks. But for me, sometimes my life feels a little bit like a roller coaster. These moments and seasons and days where I can see God clearly and I can know his goodness, right? I experience it and I understand it and I feel it in my life. And then there's moments where somehow the darkness of life or the difficulties of things kind of cloud that out and I get discouraged and I get lost a little bit and I might feel like I'm kind of straying away from God and then I find myself back with him and there's this kind of back and forth in life that's sometimes I think a healthy tension. And I honestly believe that the moments that we find ourselves maybe feeling a little disconnected from God or, or wondering what God's doing or wondering where he is, all the things that we kind of feel at times with Jesus, I can't help but realize that Jesus is always trying to do something in the middle of it. That usually those circumstances, even if they are of my own devices and choices and And things that brought me to that place, Jesus never wastes any of it. He decides to use it. It's one of the things I love most about God, is that no matter what we experience in life, he doesn't waste any of it. 
There isn't a day that Jesus wakes up and he sees us make a choice or a situation occurs, maybe that didn't even have anything to do with our choices, and he's just like, oh man, shoot, I don't know what to do with this. No, in some incredibly masterful way, Jesus works those things together for good. That's what it says. For those who love him, those who have given their lives to him, he works together this masterpiece of our life, even the hard parts, the difficult parts, and the wonderful parts for good. And so we see Peter in this story that we're about to read. It's one of these kind of moments where there's kind of a high moment and a low moment happening at the same time with Peter. And so what you've got is, you know, this incredible story of uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. This just takes place. We're going to pick up just after that part of the story. If you don't know that story, Jesus shows up. He begins to preach. Over 5,000 people show up. Uh, there's no food except for some little boy has some fish and some bread. And Jesus does this incredible miracle that somehow allows just that little bit of food to feed all of these people, over 5,000 people. And then actually they have bushels left over, which makes absolutely no sense. I love that. And so it says immediately after that, we're going to pick up now in Matthew 14, verse 22. So Jesus feeds these 5,000 people. This incredible miracle takes place. And then in Matthew 14, 22, it says this, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. I want to stop there. I read this story and I, I kind of think this just seems so much like my life sometimes. Like here we are, we see Jesus do these incredible things. We have these incredible moments with him. And then he tells us to do something, right? What does it say he does? It says he insists that they cross the lake. Now what's funny is the word insist means he had to suggest it more than once. Now, these, these guys are actually, most of them were fishermen, right? They were professional sailors, which means they might have looked out. I'm just surmising some things here, but it, they might have looked out at the water in the sky and been like, mm, I'm not sure we should cross right now. But Jesus insists. And, and I think about my life, and I act this way all the time with him. But Jesus will come to me and I'll experience him in his great things, but then he asks me to do something that I'm not sure is a great idea. And I want to kind of have a conversation about it. Jesus, are you sure? I mean, I know you just fed 5,000 people and all, but have you seen the sky? Have you seen the water? I, I'm just not sure this is the moment that I'm supposed to listen to you. I like this last moment where you fed people, now I'm full and I ate too much. But this moment where you're asking me to cross this lake, maybe in the evening where it's now dark and the sky doesn't look the way I like it to look and the wind feels a little bit too heavy, are you sure this is the moment? And so we do this to Jesus, don't we? We're like, hey, awesome miracle, love it, but hey, can we still go by my playbook? I mean, I think I still might know a little bit more, at least about sailing, Jesus. You remember that's where I came from, right? And so he has to insist, something takes place where Jesus has to insist that they go across the lake. So they do. And then Jesus stays, and then he sends the people off. And we don't know how much time that takes, but it's a lot of people. Then he goes up, and he's in the kind of wilderness to pray by himself, which we see often in his life, actually. And he's there praying, and it says, but while Jesus was praying, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. And I don't know about you, but I have found myself in this place, feels like so many times, where I do what Jesus asks, and I get out to the middle of the lake, symbolistically, and it's like too far to go back, but going forward seems impossible too. And where's Jesus? Sleeping in the wilderness, praying? What's he doing? Where is he right now? 
I don't know if you've ever been in a place in that in your life where you're just like, man, I, I did what you asked me to do, Jesus, but I'm finding myself in a place I didn't expect to be. I'm finding myself in this place where you asked me to come. In fact, I remember you insisting. <laughs> and Matthew records it that way, right? I mean, there's a reason it says that. Matthew was like, oh, no, I remember. Jesus insisted we go. And he writes it down that way. And so there's this place in our life where we know sometimes God's asked us to do something. In fact, he's insisted and we've said yes, maybe even a little bit begrudgingly. And then we still find ourselves in this place where it does not look like what we hoped it would look like. We find ourselves in life maybe surrounded by difficulty and issues and circumstances that just are painful. And they start to worry us. It says that they were fighting the wind and the heavy waves. Do you find yourself fighting wind and heavy waves in your life? You find yourself kind of feeling alone in the midst of that? So what happens here? It says about 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, this seems like it's been going on a while. I mean, they would not have left in the night. The people would have eaten, just, just historically they would say, the people would have eaten before dark and started to go home before dark. So now it's 3 o'clock in the morning. In that place in the world, it gets dark at around 6.30 at night, depending on the time of year. So this is quite a few hours later. And this is quite a long time. I, I once got caught in a really bad storm, actually on the St. Lawrence, in my dad's boat when I was 18 years old. And it was honestly quite wild. My dad was waiting at the, at the, you know, the, the intake when we got back because he was probably afraid I sank the boat. The waves were so high, I couldn't even drive fast at all because it was just a small 18-foot boat, and the waves were gigantic, and we were being pelted. I remember the fear I had, 18 years old. I literally thought, first, I'm going to have to face my dad if I live because I sank his boat. But there was this idea of, like, I'm afraid for my life. Now, that was, it lasted about 20 minutes. And then the storm, you know, because we always just have really hard passing storms. They don't sit on us for a long time. But this is hours. They've gone to the middle of the lake. This is about 3 o'clock in the morning. It says about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. So here's Jesus. Now he decides to catch up with them. Honestly, this incredibly crazy miracle just sounds like just passing no. Oh, yeah, I came out walking on the water. And what I love is this story. Jesus comes out in the midst of the storm. He doesn't clear the storm away first. So he comes out. The storm is still raging. They can't quite see him very well. Another one of the storylines in the gospel, it seems like they can't quite tell if it's him. They ask, is that you, Jesus? And it's Jesus there. And so it says, but Jesus spoke, they said, in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Now, if I'm being selfish, which I am, I'm not sure I'm okay with this answer. Like, if this is me, I'm drowning. The waves are splashing over the boat. I'm afraid for my life. It's been quite a long time. Now Jesus comes meandering out on the water, and what does he say? I am here. I'd be like, uh, <clears throat> can, you, can you stop the storm? But he doesn't. His first assurance is this, I'm with you, I'm here. This is one of the struggles that we have in Christianity, right? We come to Jesus and we experience his goodness and his, his promises and all of this stuff that he has for us, and then we expect it to be smooth sailing forever. And then, even when Jesus is with us, we're confused that he doesn't just stop all the difficulty. But that's not what Jesus promises to do, right? He's just saying, I'm here. Don't worry. I haven't left you alone. I am here with you. But sometimes, I, just being honest, I'm, 
I'm not content with the I am here. I don't know about you. You can, you can judge me if you want. But I am here sometimes doesn't cut it for me. I, I, I might get to this place where I'm so desperate in a situation that I am here is just kind of like a, it's almost like an elbow. It's like, okay, that's great, but I'm really tired. And this storm really stinks. And honestly, I'm kind of over it. <laughs> Can we deal with that? But Jesus' response is just simply, don't be afraid. I am here. Now, I love this. This is where I love Peter comes in. It says, Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I love this moment with Peter because this is honestly what our response should be. You see, our response is, it, is often that we just want him to fix the situation, make it calm again. But Peter doesn't immediately go to that. He just says, listen, if that's really you here in the midst of the storm and you're with me, call to me so I can come to you walking on the water just like you. You see, Peter doesn't even ask to do something Jesus didn't do. He asks to be like Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't calm the water and then walk on the storm. He walks in the midst of the storm. And Peter says simply, it'll be enough if I can walk with you in the midst of the storm too. Will you let me come? And I realize this, this should be my response. Not the discontented, oh, I'm not okay with I am here. The response should really be, Jesus, if that's really you. If you're here in the midst of my difficulty and my life circumstance and the heavy waves that I'm facing, then, then help me walk in the midst of it just like you are. And I love this because there's two situations. There's a man-made solution in the midst of this story, which is the boat. You see, the boat was something man-made to cross the lake, but then you've got this divine solution, which is Jesus walking on top of the water. Completely impossible for us to ever replicate. So we do what we can do as humans. We build a boat to try to cross the lake. But so often our boat isn't sufficient, is it? Our boat actually won't take us to the destination Jesus wants us to go to in life. If you've built it with your hands only, your life will not survive the storms that, that are going to be faced in your life. It's just not possible. And so our lives are often like this boat. It's not enough to actually get us to the other side. But Jesus comes and he just gives this opportunity for another solution, a divine solution, a miraculous solution, which is join me in the midst of the storm, walking on the water in a way that you can't possibly do without me. This should be our response. This is where I'm like, I want to be like Peter. I don't want to be like him when he curses to the little girl, but I want to be like him here. And Jesus looks down at him, and what does he say? He says, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. This is an incredible moment. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. The story is just amazing to me. So you've got Peter, he gets out of the boat. I love the chosen, right? It's like for the first time in... You know, someone's doing a decent job with trying to show us what these scenarios might look like. In this moment where he gets out of the boat, I really, it's hard to imagine, right? Because it's not like this glass water topped surface and I'm just going to pretend I'm stepping on it. No, it's this choppy, crazy, wavy scenario and yet he climbs over the side of the boat. He decides to leave his man-made solution and go to a divine solution in his life. He's saying, okay, I want to join with where Jesus is. And the invitation is for all of us. He just was the one that had kind of enough, you know, gall to say, hey, can I come out there? 
And he says he starts walking to him. We don't really know how far it is or how many steps he took. But it was long enough that eventually he starts to see the wind and the waves again. And what happens? The fear overtakes him. You see, twice in this story it says that they were terrified. And terrified, literally, the, the word means to be overcome with fear. <clears throat> overcome, it literally just means overwhelmed. Completely overtaken. There's nothing else happening anymore. It's just fear is happening. And so this terrified nature takes him over and he starts to see the, the reality of the world again instead of just Jesus again. And he begins to sink. And I, I love the story even in this moment because you're like, oh man, he didn't do it. But he did. He did. He walked a little ways. And like any of us, life is loud and wet and scary and sometimes we get distracted by it and we take our eyes off Jesus and we begin to sink again but this is what I love Jesus immediately reaches out he doesn't wait he doesn't let him drown a little while he doesn't let him try to tread water while giving him a lecture about how he should have trusted him more it just says he immediately reached out And I like this because Jesus isn't going to bring you to a place that he sends you to where he's going to drown you in the midst of it. And so if Jesus insists on things in our life for us to head in certain directions. We have to believe that his nature is good. And even if the wind and the waves are heavy, he's never going to let us drown in the midst of that place. It doesn't mean that it isn't just as wet, it isn't just as scary, it isn't just as heavy. It means that Jesus is there in the midst and that he is the one holding our hand there. And like Peter, we have to rest assured that he can do the impossible. And we have to rest assured that even when we begin to maybe believe he's not going to do the impossible, he'll save us from the wind and the waves. And then what does he do? Clears the storm up anyway. I always laugh because it's like Jesus really just wants to see, are you willing to trust me in the midst of nothing actually changing? And then somehow, when we do, everything changes. And we live in this tension of there is this if and then in Christianity. There is this place that if we place our faith and trust in Jesus, then somehow Jesus is able to do the very things that we're believing and, and that he's promised us. But if we live in the boat, there's no miracle ever. We have to be willing to get out of the boat. He says, you have so little faith. You know, Jesus makes this statement and he actually uses the same statement about four or five other times in the Gospels. I listed them there in your notes. And, you know, you can spin this to the idea that he had some faith, and that's great, and he did. So little faith is a good place to start. But he is honestly comparing it to saying, you need some more. Jesus is saying that. He's like, you, you needed just a little more faith than what you had. And this word faith, I wanted to kind of peel this back today. You know, if you look it up in... The Greek there, and anywhere it's translated in the New Testament, it's honestly synonymous with a, a few other words. And those words are in your notes. The first one that is synonymous with is trust. That the exact same word that is translated faith is also translated trust. And honestly, when I'm really trying to evaluate my life with Jesus, trust seems to be a better word for me. Because faith, I don't know, somehow we've kind of, molded faith into this idea of like, do I believe Jesus is real? Do I believe he exists? And so I have faith, or, or this is my faith. Christianity is my faith. But the reality is, faith in the wording, it means, do you trust me? Do we trust Jesus? Do we trust God is who he says he is? Do we trust that Jesus is going to do what he says he's going to do? Do we trust that Jesus is with us? That he's going to be with us in the midst of the storm? Do we have trust? And so I imagine in that moment that Jesus is looking down, instead of just saying faith, he says, you have so little trust. 
And in my life, I realized this is probably where I struggle the most. I want to share kind of a personal story with you. Basically, I'm kind of the rest of the time, I'm going to share some of this. But, you know, many of you know um, my wife and Mai's life and what it looks like. We have five kids, and two of them are severely autistic. They're disabled. They'll live with us the rest of their lives if they don't have a miracle. Um, you know, the first number of years with our daughter Mara was just honestly extremely difficult. It was almost at times we thought we were drowning. <laughs> it was super hard. And, and in that midst of that, we adopted two kids. So we have five kids. And here we are in this stage of life now where things are kind of a little bit easier. Mara's grown. Jacob's grown. It's this wonderful thing. But there's this place where something happened to me in the midst of this life with my kids and my life with Jesus where a portion, and honestly, I would say that I, I tried to believe I could compartmentalize it, but I had a serious distrust for Jesus when it came to my kids. Like serious. And I, I want to make sure that I'm not trying to pretend like it wasn't a big deal. It was actually a really big deal. Like I really just was angry for a lot of years. I was disillusioned. I had a distrust. And it was funny. I would try to explain this to some of my friends. I said, you know, it's like, it's like I have this best friend, and he's sitting next to me, and, and when I talk to him about church, we, we dream together, and he tells me where the church should be going, and when I'm talking to him about other people's lives, I hear all these encouraging words and all this stuff that he has, and, and when I'm talking to him about even things in my life in many ways, there he is, he's super present, but the minute I bring up my kids and the situation that I'm dealing with with my children, it's like my best friend goes silent. And I know he can do something about it, but he doesn't. And I just don't get it. That's like the best way I could explain how it felt. Like living with my special needs children and the situation and how it occurred and all the things that are difficult in the midst of that. But all the while trusting Jesus and trying to have faith in Jesus for all of these other big things in my life. And I lived in this tension. And so what I decided to do, honestly, as a person, was just compartmentalize it. Like, okay, here's this piece where I don't trust you, Jesus. Because in my mind, I feel like, honestly, we'd sing songs like you've never failed me yet. I'd stop. I didn't sing them. Because I felt like a liar. Because I didn't believe it. And so we'd get to those choruses and I wouldn't sing them. Because in my mind, I feel like you failed me in this way, but I'm going to just put it here. I'm going to choose to believe, at least in my mind, what I know to be true about scriptures, which is you're good, God. You're good, but yet in this way, I, I can't run my mind around it, so I'm just going to have to push it over here. And, but, I, but I'm holding you at arm's length with that, and I knew I was doing it. And, and honestly, what happened was about a year ago, I realized it began to affect my life quite a bit. You know, it's a lie if you think you can compartmentalize anything. You know that? Think you can have a little bit of sin over here or a little bit of distrust over here or a little bit of a different type of life over here without Jesus. It's just a lie that we believe. But at the end of the day, those things permeate us. It begins to affect us in different ways. And I began to be challenged by this, this notion that I was holding Jesus at arm's length in my life over a year ago about... I want Jessica to come up because we want to share something with you. So um, about five years ago, actually, I'll just let you share that part. Never mind. I'll share. Hello? Okay. So I'm going to read it. About five years ago, so all of our kids, we had all five of our children. And I received a text from somebody I don't talk to a lot anymore. Many of you guys know Pastor Don, right? So Pastor Don um, has kids, and one of his kids is Megan Curry. Well, she was Megan Curry. She's sharp now. She texted me five years ago and said this. Hi, I had an interesting dream about you last night, and I feel weird writing this to you, but I will. I had a dream that you posted online a picture of a sonogram and said you were having a boy. In the dream, God said to me, They'll name him Samuel, which means God has heard. Because I've heard every. 
because I've heard every single one of their prayers. Samuel will be completely healthy, lacking nothing, and I will cause their bookends, Jeremiah and Samuel, to be healthy and strong. And then I'm going to bring healing to all the other children in between. I have heard and I will restore. Then the dream shifted to you holding a baby boy, completely healthy, and standing beside you were Jeremiah, Mara, Jacob, Isaac, and Emma, and all of them were completely healthy and healed. You stood there weeping, thanking God for, your, for this blessing, and the dream ended. So I get that five years ago, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I'm crying. I'm whatever. I, I send it. Greg wasn't, we weren't together, you know, in the same place at the same time. So I sent it to Greg, you know, and said, look at this. This is what Megan just had a dream last night. And, um, you know, we then ensued a conversation sometime after that of just like, would we ever be open to having a child? And um, I don't know if I was there yet, but I was willing to consider it. Um, but I mean, as he described, the doctors have told us that we are the perfect genetic storm. I don't like saying that out loud, but <laughs> um, you just have the perfect genetics to create the ideal circumstances for severe autism over and over and over again. And so we have these things spoken over us, and we have this reality that we're living with, that we love our children, but we have two kids that we will take care of the rest of their lives. And then we have this word, and I think, really, God? I mean, if all, I mean, you could tell me, go skydiving, jump off a cliff, like, you know, give all your money away, sell your house. I could do all those things. Have another child with the circumstances we're in and the risk that we'd be taking, and not only just have another child, but that will be somehow contingent upon your other kids being healed. I'm like, are you kidding? But isn't that the way God works? It's the one area, the things we don't trust him with, where he, he says, this is the spot. I'm not going to test you in this way. I'm not going to test you in that way. I'm going to test you in the one spot where you still don't know if you can trust me. I'm going to ask you to risk there. And so we were kind of in this place of. I was a dead no. <laughs> I was going to let him it say it because I didn't want to be mean. conversation. <laughs> I was like, no, never, 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 ever, 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 ever. I think he said Jesus would have to come down from heaven himself. I, Not an angel, but Jesus in person, bodily never form. It's never going <laughs> to happen. I didn't trust God at all. I don't. In that way, I was I was just broken in that way, and uh, and then and honestly, I was like nearly offended about it. Does that make sense? I was like, seriously, Jesus, like, and you know, just being the arrogant people we can be, I just began to stack things up, going, oh, but look at all of these things that we've done for you. This is what you ask. And you know what I felt like? I felt like the rich young ruler. Came to Jesus, asked all the right questions in all the right ways and did all the right things. And then when Jesus asked him to sell everything he owned and follow him, he went away sad. And I, I was like, no. <laughs> but I didn't feel sad at the time at all. <laughs> I just wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to do it. And I believed she felt sad. <laughs> I felt sad. sad. <laughs> She felt sad. And so for five years, um, it was just a, a really big no. And uh, so I'm just going to, we'll just say it now, but we're pregnant. That isn't the response I had. No, no, no. I got to tell you this. So when I woke him up a couple weeks ago out of a dead sleep, because, you know, you're supposed to Five wait. Five o'clock in the morning. She wakes You know, me you're up. supposed to do it in the morning or whatever. And so I go to the bathroom. I come in, and, and I'm like, honey, I'm pregnant. And he goes, like, with the scariest look in his eyes. And he goes, never wake me up like that again. <laughs> and I go, hopefully I never will. <laughs> I, I actually said, yeah, that's terrifying. And I realized in that moment that I had been living full of fear when it came to this. And there's so much that we could share about why. I mean, our lives can make sense in some ways. But the, the intricacies and the specifics of our life, just to me, the, it was so absurd of an idea. 
And um, what happened really was I began to be challenged this last year, realizing that I had been holding Jesus at arm's length in an area of my life, and, and I didn't want to be regretting that years from now. And actually, I spoke a message in January about regret, and I talked about maturity and saying yes to God, and it was all about that. I was already being challenged in January, like, man, I, I can't keep thinking this doesn't affect everything. And then I've shared with you guys, even in these messages over the last while about joy and the things that I felt like I'd lost, I really believe it was because I had this area of my life where I thought, I, I can compartmentalize this and not give this part to Jesus, not trust him here, but I can trust him everywhere and it'll be fine. But it wasn't fine. And so there's this tension that we began to live in, you know, where I didn't want to live that way, but I also didn't want to have a baby. <laughs> I didn't. I, I just, being honest, I was scared. I was terrified. And over these last nine, ten months since we've had this, like, real honest conversation, I felt Jesus doing something in me, changing something inside me. And I wanted to share this thing, which is where I'm coming at this differently um, now. And I want to read this prophetic word we got two weeks ago. So two weeks, if we just found out, okay, my, my math's bad. We found out just maybe ten days ago. And some people wait, but we just decided this is not something we want to wait to share with people. Um, I got this message from Barb Barkley, who's I've just cheered her on so much lately, but this is why. <laughs> so she sends me this uh, message. She said God woke her up maybe early in the morning, felt like God gave her this word for me, and it was a super encouraging word, and I read it, and of course, I'm going to read a portion of it to you right now. Um, which is just mind-boggling because at the time that she gave me this word, we didn't know that we were pregnant. It wasn't even in our mind, honestly, at that point at all. But this is what it says. I sense it's like you're pregnant. Really. Pregnant with purpose and expectancy. Something is growing inside of you, in your belly and in your heart. A love like you've never known before. Feels like at the end... Of the next nine months, you will explode with new life God has given you. It feels like almost a literal nine months until you give birth to what has been growing and developing in your belly and in your heart. I sense it's even an embryo in you now, and you don't even know it. If you don't think God still speaks today, you're confused. He does. <laughs> You don't even know what it looks like at this point, but as it grows and develops over the next months, you are going to love it beyond your imagination. And at the time, I actually had had a conversation the night before. Jess and I were talking about the church. We had just, it was the weekend of the partner party, and I was just so excited about the future. And it was funny, at the partner party, I kept thinking, like, I keep talking about newness and this new thing that God's going to do, but... I kept thinking, like, I don't have any announcement to make with this. Remember I said that if you were at the partner party? I just didn't know what part of it was. <laughs> because honestly, I believe that this is not, this is obviously very personal. It's an individual thing to our family. But I think it's more than that. Honestly, believe it's a symbol of a moment where God wants to do something new in all of us. As long as we don't hold him at arm's length. As long as maybe something inside us would change and say, God, maybe I stop trusting you in this area of my life. Maybe I kind of compartmentalize some things about you where I don't know how to understand this. I don't know how to walk through this moment. And so I'm going to compartmentalize. If we could just stop doing that and let God actually do something beyond our imagination, then maybe we'd be getting out of the boat and onto a water in a divine solution, not a man-made one. And we have this prophetic word from, from Megan from five years ago. It says this baby's going to be completely whole, healthy, lacking nothing. And, and honestly, if you would have asked me three weeks ago if I could have believed that, I would have said no. But something changed. Something has shifted in me, and so I'm declaring now this idea that we are going to have a child against all odds. You know, as we were sharing with our kids... You know, we began to share very vulnerably with our kids, obviously, when we told them that we were pregnant. 
And Jeremiah was just so excited. I couldn't believe it, honestly. 15 years old. He's excited to have a baby. And, and, and I was like, but, and I tried to, I was like almost trying to bring his excitement down. I was like, yeah, but don't you understand, Jer? Statistics literally say we have a one in four chance of having another child with severe autism. And he goes, doesn't that mean we have a 75% chance they'll be whole? And I was literally like, I'm not a good person. I had never even thought of it that way. Literally, my fear was controlling me that I was so focused on this 25% possibility because my experience says that's what's going to happen. But you see, Jesus doesn't work within the realm of our experiences. He works within the realm of a kingdom that we can't possibly grasp at times. God wants to do something incredibly new in this next season, not just in us. I just wanted to, you know, I just feel like, I don't know how to put it into words, but if there's been something in your life that you've held God at arm's length, we all do it, you know? Maybe it's your job, and you hate your job, but you keep doing it because you got to provide for your family, but you just never have had faith to believe God could do something different. I mean, one of our Momentum students, she left her job, like, in two days, quit her job, started Momentum, wondering, I may never work for the state again. It was a good job. It was a state job, and just risked it all, and now she's doing a job that she absolutely loves, and God's blessed her beyond what she can imagine. Like, sometimes it's like when we hold God at arm's length, we're actually, like, saying, I don't want the things you have for me, God. We think we're saying, I'm scared, but it really is, I don't trust you. And we all do it. And I just want to encourage you guys, if you feel like, man, there's just something, there's an area in my life that I've held God at arm's length. I just want to encourage you today, you know, whatever that looks like, or in your own quiet time of prayer, to, to drop your arm, to just put down your defenses. Like, I truly believe God has so much more for us, but he's such a gentleman. He'll never fringe upon our choice. We can make the choice over and over again. I'll do all these things, God, but I won't do that. I'll go anywhere, but I won't go there. I'll, I'll risk anything, but I won't do that thing. And I just really feel like, God, it's robbing us of the joy he wants to give us. It's robbing us of the blessings he has for our life, for our family, for this region. And I think, like, the whole idea of compartmentalizing something, also realize your life isn't compartmentalized to other people's either. Right? So it's not just like I compartmentalize this part of my life, but I am part of a whole I'm a part of the body of Christ. So the choices I make or don't make affect everyone. The choices you make or don't make affect everyone. It's not even just about, sometimes we say, well, I'll just, you know, make it do. And, you know, God loves me anyway. I'll go to heaven one day. But you have to realize your life and your decisions literally impact everyone in this room. Impact the next generation. And so it's so much bigger, you guys, than even just us saying, I can't do that thing. It, we affect each other. Why don't we stand this morning? I'm going to leave you with these few scriptures. Colossians 2.12, it says, And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You trust it's the same word as faith. Because you trusted, 1 Peter 1.9, it says the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. God's calling us to trust him. Hebrews 11, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, trust is something that isn't super tangible. It's not always something you can just grab hold of. It's literally the idea of an assurance of things you can't quite see yet. So my challenge is this, that what is it that, what's happening in your life that's not seen, that you're believing for, that you want to trust Jesus for, but man, you just don't know how to grab hold of it. This is what he's asking us to have in him. That's the faith that he's calling us to today.
So I want to I wanna share that just yesterday, Anna and I were having a, a conversation. And this is right on the mark. So as you know, my wife's been, di- as many of you might know, many of you might not, my wife was diagnosed with MS in 2012. We've had lots of prophetic words about not believing what the doctor says and so on and so forth. And, and Greg has been a, a friend of mine, a true friend of mine for many years. And, and in any relationship, our relationship has had ups and downs. And, and uh, this is one thing that him and I have always talked about. The way that he felt about his kids was the way I felt about my wife. Like, I don't get it, God. And so we, we would talk about how we had this, we'd just come to this place where, well, I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to trust that he's good and I'm going to believe and, like you said, just compartmentalize. Well, I realize that my lack of trust has put me in arm's length. And we haven't been coming here for a while because of that. And yesterday we were having this conversation. I said, the scripture I've always struggled with is Jesus goes to this blind man and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I know you're able. If you're willing, could you make me whole? And I have been so angry with God over that because I know he can heal Anna. He just obviously must not be willing. He says, I know you can if you're willing. I know he can. Obviously, he's not willing, so I've been angry, and I've compartmentalized. And yesterday, in talking to Anna about all that, I realized that that story is not about God's willingness or his ability. It's about the man's trust that no matter what Jesus gave him as an answer, he would still believe in who Jesus was in that moment. And so I realized that, that my ability to quantify God's trustworthiness is based on the expectations that I've created for the ways that I want him to show up in my life. And I realized that Jesus wasn't my goal. My wife's healing was. And you know what? Like Jeff said, decisions. My family hasn't been coming here for a while. And I've let my pain and my disappointments trickle into my family. And today I just... Anna and I said yesterday, no more. He's got to be the goal. And, and Greg and I have shared this story in our lives together. And I'm just done quantifying his trustworthiness. And I'm just going to choose to believe in it, period. And so, Jess, I want you to come up here. And I want people to come up and lay hands on Greg and Jess. And we're going to pray for them. And we're going to call forward God's promises. And we're going to believe in those things despite what our reality and our, and our truths are, or our facts, God's truths are way bigger than our facts, guys. So come on, I want, I want some people, elders, whoever, just come up and pray for Greg and Jess. Just lay hands on them. You want to get, yeah. Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for your trustworthiness. God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your words. Lord, we choose not to look at the waves today, but to lock eyes with you and trust God. You know, the message in that whole Jesus telling them and insisting that they go to the other side, there's promise that they're going to get to the other side. So, Father, we just, we just lock eyes with you. We take our eyes off of these waves and we declare your goodness. We declare your trustworthiness, Father. We call forward the promises over their lives, over Greg and Jess, over this baby. Father, we declare it right now in Jesus' name. We call forward your promises, Father. We thank you for this amazing couple. We thank you for this amazing family. We thank you for the faithfulness of Jeremiah, Lord. And we just thank you for the 75%. And God, you're bigger than any ratio. You're bigger than any, anything that any doctor can say. You're bigger than anything that our, our own um, compartmentalization and, and expectations, God. You're greater than all those things, Father. So we just choose to lock eyes with you and declare your promise over this amazing family. We just pray for mom. 
God, for your faithfulness, your kindness, and your love. And we ask, Lord God, that you would pour it on both families in great measure. And Father, the things of the heart that you have begun to heal would be fully healed, Lord God, in both these families. Listen, if you're in this room, this is what I want to do to end bit different than anything we've done. If you're in this room and you need someone to pray with you for faith for something, would you be willing to raise your hand right where you're at? Just whatever. If there's something you're saying, I don't know how to even believe for something new. Maybe if you're up here, but if you're in the crowd, this is what I'm going to ask. That we can gather around people that have their hand raised. Right now, some of us can lay hands. If you're just nearby someone, lift your hand. You see some few folks in the balcony, some people here in the crowd. Lay hands on people around you. I'm going to pray over everyone um, to kind of finish up today. But listen, don't, don't miss this chance to let someone believe with you. Has everybody got someone praying with them? Folks in the balcony, gather around them, please. Right here. God, we just thank you that you are a good God. God, we thank you that you're here in the midst of this place, that you're with every one of us, that just like with Peter in the storm, you're just saying, I am here. And God, I pray that even our focus would be on you above everything else, even like Mark admonished us, that we aren't just trying for a certain result, but God, we're just trying for you, Jesus. God, we're reaching for you. And so, Father, I ask right now, just for miracle after miracle in people's faith and trust in this room today. God, that where we've pushed you aside and where we've lost sight of you and where we've compartmentalized, God, I pray you'd break those walls down. And God, just let the peace of your goodness overcome every one of us. God, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.